This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your evil twin host, Javi. <laughs> and uh, we're here talking about a new movie again. God bless you, uh, theaters. I mean, streaming companies that are allowing movies to go on streaming services and not forcing us to go to theaters for everything. <laughs> this is the greatest year of podcast or <laughs> movie review podcasts because we don't have to go anywhere. We can actually like watch movies from home as they come out what a time to be alive which will probably only go through the end of this year honestly (laughs) and we are back in the world of james wan so earlier this year we went through the conjuring and then we returned to the conjuring universe for three annabelle movies (laughs) if you recall if he directed them they would have been called wannabelle (laughs) all right all right very well but uh all right so this is the new james wan project it is uh the film is called malignant and um i mean both of our experience with this movie is it just recently came out and uh you know so this is going to be the first kind of the first movie in our halloween schedule at this point yeah we might as well let the cat out of the bag here (laughs) We'll, that we'll be doing horror movies until October, until the end of October. Yes, yeah, suck it, you little wuss bags. I'm pretty sure we said in the last episode, but yeah, we're starting Halloween like spooky season early, and we're gonna start two weeks before October starts. I think we did two months last year, so we're actually starting late compared to last year. Really? Last year, I think last year I think we did two solid months. Oh man! No, I like yeah I. I I like having a show that's not just horror, and I like reviewing a little bit of everything for everybody. But God, like horror movies just have such a like special place in my heart. <laughs> it's awesome. I think it's both of our like, it, you know what it is is that we like stuff like pro wrestling. We like stuff, and like you know, comic books and stuff now are more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Horror movies are still, while they're always very popular it's one of those things where it's like it's a special kind of nerd that's like super into the minutia of horror movies (laughs) yeah it's still a very niche genre that not everyone super gets into and to slowly see horror start going into other like aspects whether you have like young adult horror or teenage horror in the in the what's it called um, in the fear street series which we also reviewed earlier in the summer mm-hmm. or you know hopefully when the doctor strange multiverse of madness finally drops and i mean that's gonna be a movie that has a bunch of superhero movie with a bunch of horror elements so it's like cool to see that it's a genre that's starting to kind of like bleed its way into the um into the mainstream it's always still gonna be it's weird corner in the back of the blockbuster video you know that not everyone is gonna go gonna go check out but it is i feel like in terms of i mean it it bears out in the numbers but in terms of like popularity it is the most popular genre that we review on this podcast so i'm sure our listeners will get a kick out of it um i'll release the schedule um when i release when this episode is finally released so by the time you're hearing this the schedule will have just come out along with this movie and uh yeah oh uh, we can just if you'd like uh like an angry dad i'll release the schedule when i goddamn do it (laughs) (laughs) oh man no we're gonna we are going to just jump into it i think because this this is a movie that doesn't have too much like background didn't have much lead up just everyone i think started seeing the trailers on youtube and social media maybe about 
what three four months ago like it's one of those movies that didn't have i think it is interesting that i guess marketing campaigns are very gorilla now (laughs) and they don't really start marketing movies till god it feels sometimes like maybe three weeks before the release i I don't know if you've noticed that or if you have something to speak on that but that's just kind of like the newest trend i've I've paid attention to unless yeah kind of secret i feel like this kind of stuff happens for movies that studios maybe have less confidence in makes sense so i don't and i don't know that that's true for a fact i do know that i read an article on this and Mm -hmm. um apparently the the writer of malignant is a black woman Mm -hmm. there was an article that i read that basically talked about how people that are kind of slamming this movie in the reviews for you know calling it bad or whatever that it's one of those things where like maybe that's why we need more non-white film reviewers and i'm gonna say this i agree with the fact that we need more non-white film reviewers because part of the reason why award shows continue to be dominated by white films white actors and white creators is because the people who are part of these like academies are mainly white (laughs) and the people who are getting food the most in terms of movies in general are white so uh you know i agree with that part of it that said and when we get into this movie this is not a good movie (laughs) i have negative (laughs) thoughts on this movie but the negative thoughts that I have on aspects of this movie, I'm not blaming on the writer. Mm-hmm. So, I, and uh, basically, it's just like, you know, you're not going to hit all the time. I mean, you can be a writer putting together a fantastic script, but a lot of times, especially in studio films, you know, stuff is going to be changed here and there. And maybe the movie that ends up happening isn't as similar to the script that you wrote as you'd wish, right? So I'm just going to say it's just, you know, as much as I agree that we need more reviewers of color, we need more creators of color, and we need to continue to support these movies. That said, I'm going to be very honest in my opinions about this. So that is my disclaimer before we get into this movie. I mean, I think it's hard because like, yeah, I do agree. That's a problem in that there aren't reviewers of color and you know, that's just not kept in mind. I do think it's hard when we immediately try to make that argument when it's just a bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) if this was like for example if the movie in question was get out and get out was getting slammed um that one i feel would have a little bit more legs to stand on but malignant is an ode to 80s horror schlock and it's one of those things that it either hits with certain people or it doesn't you know and I think the thing is with the way horror is going with how elevated horror is a thing and how there's kind of a revival of the old like slasher movies, you know, sometimes a movie like this is going to get thrown at the wall. Sometimes it'll stick. Sometimes it won't. But that being said, I do agree that yeah, there is a discussion to be had. I just don't think it needs to be had about this movie. <laughs> But let's get into it. So Malignant, the movie starts off in 1993, where we're introduced to Dr. Florence Weaver and a bunch of other doctors that work with her that includes Victor Fields and John Gregory. And pretty much what they're doing is they're treating um, they're treating this patient by the name of Gabriel. And right off the bat, we learn like they're they're in the middle of a crisis situation. Dr. Florence is uh, going down like this hallway where she's met by one of the doctors who tell him that the do- that the the patient escaped and that he's trying to get more information about himself and he's trying to go home. And we find out that this uh, this patient has powers is what it looks like. Um, they're able to kind of like manipulate electricity and kind of like mess with the electronic devices around the hospital. And when they get the, um, you know, when, when Dr. Florence gets to the, uh, when she finally gets to like the room that the patient is in, we immediately see one of the doctors or some, or one of the orderlies that's inside the room already gets slammed against the wall, appears to be murdered. 
And then uh, one of the security guards comes in with what appears to be like a dart gun. And as he tries to put the dart gun through the opening in the door so he can shoot Gabriel, the patient, he ends up getting his arm snapped in half. And we have the hilarious shot of him screaming, pulling his broken ass arm out of the door and screams louder when he sees the broken arm like bending at a 90 degree angle. And again, like I mentioned before, you're here for it or you're not. It's totally understandable either way. Mm -hmm. And then finally, um, you know, this scene wraps up with Dr. Florence grabbing the um, grabbing a the what's it called? The the dart gun and firing it at Gabriel, sedating him. And then the rest of the medical team goes in, subdues the kid puts him in a uh, puts him in like what appears to be uh, kind of like not stirrups but like a chair that uh, that uh, with, with straps on it and uh, Dr. Florence says um, you know explains a little bit about Gabriel and how it's time to cut out the cancer as she grabs like a bone saw which takes us into our credits which shows a bunch of like pictures and kind of like weird animations of like uh, dissection mm-hmm. a lot of weird body horror imagery you know and okay I, this movie has a really wild opening and i know you've just described it in kind of to be honest i think the way you described it is the most normal way you can possibly describe it i was surprised that this is how this movie was starting it felt weird like it didn't feel like it was overtly serious horror it like some of the overacting in this scene from the doctors and everything, it almost felt like something that was meant to be like a dream. Like, you know what I mean? Like one of those bizarre, like dream kind of things where, where it just felt like everyone was overacting. It felt like something more out of a Tim Burton movie than anything. It like bordered on parody, like how over the top everything is in the, in the opening of this film. And you're expecting, and and that's why, like, you almost think, like, this is going to be a horror comedy going forward. And it's not, not at all. Like, I think the movie kind of corrects that right away. (laughs) I think that my biggest criticism of this movie, and it begins right with the beginning of this, is I don't think that this movie understands how to, this movie doesn't understand how to hit the tone that it probably should for the subject matter that it's pick to exploit (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think exploit is a very good (laughs) term for what this movie well the genre itself is an exploitation genre right Mm -hmm. and it's like and anything that is dealt with even in elevated horror it's all stuff that is you know like it's exploitation of things that exist in the real world right you know stuff like the babadook it's like it's an exploitation of like the invasion that you feel as a parent sometimes you know where the fact that you know your life used to be something else and and then you're dealing with like i mean our character is dealing with grief and then she's also dealing with the fact that her life doesn't belong to her anymore and that her child is just completely hovering over her like that's that's there are elements of a movie like that that feel like a parent horror movie there's stuff like hereditary that's specifically just about grief, like just the overwhelming sadness of having to deal with the death of someone. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that stuff as well in uh, Midsommar. And like, they're, they're like, you know what I mean? Like the horror genre, it follows, deals with, you know, the danger of like, just, it just, you know, obviously it deals with the, with the fears of growing up. It can be seen as a, as a allegory for AIDS or any std like you know what i mean like it it is the genre will exploit these things i think Mm -hmm. where this movie loses me is of course the when i first heard the title of the movie malignant where do you normally hear the term malignant you either hear you know people will talk about malignant or benign tumors a lot of it relating to some kind of cancer um, and it's just, it's, it's hard not to think of that when you hear this title. And I was kind of surprised that right away we were jumping at this in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things where like the trailer tells you that this movie is going to be something and you watch the movie and it's something completely different, which yeah. would be positive 
if I liked the direction we were going to go in. It would be positive if it didn't immediately go into from one dumpster fire into a bigger dumpster fire. So that is like, yeah, that is my thoughts on the beginning of this. I hate admitting this, but I am so like, I am so what's it called? Um, I guess numb to cancer being used as a plot device in media and i'm not knocking marvel i'm not taking this moment to knock on marvel but i do want to say there was a time period in comic books where when you didn't have good character development you just gave a character cancer and then they had to work through it and then you suddenly like gave a reason for the readers to care about this character and and then not just marvel does that like I mean, that being said, Deadpool is one of my favorite like comic book characters, and he is literally living cancer, like as far as the comic book is concerned, right? But it's like not only not only um uh like not only comic books were doing that, but there was like this weird time it feels like between the the late aughts and the early tens that that was kind of like the trope to do, and it's kind of like thankfully it's kind of died down now. I think as we have more of an understanding of the effects of cancer, not just on like the patients, but also families and, you know, having to deal with the grief and kind of like, and having to see a loved one go through all that. Like, I feel like it's been handled in a little bit more sensitive way, except then we have this movie and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> we went back to that. Good to see. <laughs> oh man. But moving on. So after we get our credit scenes that show a lot of like medical, like a lot of medical body horror, which medical, like medical based body horror always freaks me out. Uh, I think you and I have talked about it in the past, especially with, um, I think it was uh, The Exorcist where we talked about how some of the most terrifying scenes in the, in that movie, specifically when Reagan is in the hospital, (laughs) for some reason, just things in the medical field can be very creepy and like really eerie. Uh, but when, when the movie opens back up, it opens with a tile car that says several years later. Um, but, you know, on Wikipedia, it says about 27 years later. Uh, we get introduced to Madison Lake, who appears to be a pregnant nurse, I think. I mean, she looks like she's wearing scrubs as she comes out of the car uh, outside of her house. Um, and she lives in Seattle. And she comes home to her husband, a dude named Derek Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, this guy's a he is a giant turd burger. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's 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 yes, again, this movie lacks so much subtlety. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's all right. It's it's can, immediate scumbag. You can tell he's a scumbag because he's watching UFC fights in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but that just guy's like big scumbag energy to me. And he looks like great value Joel Kinnaman. And I was like, no, not Rick Flag, not my Rick Flag. <laughs> well, he ends up getting into an argument with um with Madison talking about how, you know, talking like pretty much throwing her previous miscarriages in her face. And we learn that, you know, as she's pregnant, he does not seem at all excited about the pregnancy. Like I mentioned, talking about his miscarriages and at one point being like, if you can't have a kid, why'd you get fucking pregnant again? Like almost putting the blame on her. And then when she like stands up for herself, he ends up like smack, like slamming her like the back of her head against the wall and drawing blood. And immediately this like abusive piece of shit like like goes into like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. You know me. And, you know, he immediately tries to make up for his explosive outburst. And scumbaggery. God, he like he he is not likable. And he runs like so he runs down, grabs like an ice pack. And while while he's away, um, Madison goes and locks the door and and she like kind of protects herself. Right. Um, Later, as the day, you know, the day goes on, she ends up falling asleep in her room. And when she ends up like, well, before, yeah, she ends up falling asleep. And then we get that creepy scene where Derek is like down turning on and it's like, like 
changing channels right and you can like see the outline of just this long-haired character sitting on the couch and then when the like suddenly the lights turn off and you're expecting to see like the kid the this shape standing back up or something but when the lights come back on you don't see anything Mm -hmm. you just see like an imprint of something on the on the couch like suddenly get up pretty much you see like an ass imprint (laughs) ass imprint just like lets off as if someone was getting up and it's like as uh derek goes and walks around he suddenly gets his like face slammed by the shadow figure up against the um up against like one of the walls and which apparently wakes up madison as she walks downstairs she comes she comes down to the to the living room and she sees Derek's body like not just murdered like twisted and contorted and limbs ripped into different like angles that body parts aren't meant to like be bent into mm-hmm. and then she sees like this um you know she ends up seeing the killer and when she ends up getting attacked by it she she gets knocked out um, so the next morning she wakes up in the hospital and there that's where she, she we, we actually get introduced to her sister, Sydney, who appears to be a uh, actress slash like Disney princess impersonator. Mm-hmm. And like she comes to her sister's side to try to try to um, try to comfort her and console her because i think yeah like i don't know if i mentioned it but yeah at this point is where we learned that she's actually uh lost her baby after the after she was attacked yes so right off the bat (laughs) yeah i'm i did not like this it felt again it's just like do we have to add this as well like I mean, I guess I get what it may be trying to say, but it's just like, all right, well, she's being chased by a demon and she's being abused and she's losing her baby. It's kind of like, it's, I, 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 this is weird. I'm going to take this to a really weird place, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like when I grew up, like watching Boy Meets World, it was one of my favorite sitcoms of the 90s. Oh, boy, how like this to a weird place. I know. But the reason why I say this is because the best friend on that series, uh, his name is Sean Hunter, right? Played by Ryder Strong. Mm-hmm. And the entire series is just like, like his character arc is a series of like shitty things happening to one person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he starts off in the first season as somebody who probably very much lives in the same neighborhood that Corey lives in. And then as the series evolves, it turns into he's like the kid from the trailer park on the other side of town and his mother runs away at every moment and his father leaves him. So then Sean has to like trade off between like rooming with one of his teachers that decides to adopt him for reasons unknown. And then like his long lost half brother comes and it's just like then when he and his dad are finally like reunited again in the sixth season, his dad dies. And then in the seventh season, his mom dies. And then they tell him that he's been adopted or like, or no, that his mother is not really his mother. Like it is just a series of it's, it's too far. Right. And I feel like, I, you know, like if this Sean movie was really- about, if this movie was about miscarriage, like, you know, like I, I feel like there, there should be a cap to how many different tragedies you want to befall one character just for the sake of telling a cohesive story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, let, just put him through everything. Like, and, I, and, and that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of the weird thing. It's like this weird writing uh, crutch that certain writers have where it's like, if I don't know how to develop this character, I'm just going to give them a shit ton of trauma. So it's like, not only is this woman had to deal with like a malignant tumor, you know, well, uh, spoilers, right? <laughs> because up until this point, we don't know anything about that. But um, not only does she have to do, like, is there talk about a malignant tumor? You know, there's the talk of three mess miscarriages in total, plus being in the abusive relationship. Like, 
like like you said it's like they don't they didn't know what to do with this character necessarily to kind of develop her and get us on her side so they were just like oh yeah let's just make her go through some shit it feels like teen novel stuff yeah and it's just like i don't know it's just it's not really fitting with me and i think it's just why this movie just isn't on the right foot with me i'm Mm -hmm. still watching it i'm still into it I think the demon, whatever that is following her around is interestingly enough, even though it reminds me a lot of the girl from the ring mm-hmm. or the Ringu movies, I'm still going along with it. Ooh, look at you, Angel being international. You know what I, she, it also gave me vibes of the demon from Lights Out, which I believe I watched with you like years ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think even that opening scene where what's her face is where like what's his face the guy the abusive dickhead boyfriend that gets killed yeah. Dirk. Um, that scene where he's being attacked it feels like it's a short from a <laughs> like you know it's one of those things where you're like man like if this was a short this would be a fucking awesome movie but then Wouldn't it's it like <laughs> they're like oh man you only see that demon when the lights are on or when the lights are off man if only there was a movie that already did this that was also directed by james well you know what i would also argue things about james want like no no, james one didn't direct that but i think the guy who directed the second annabelle movie directed that Uh, but i'll say this lights out is works much better as a short film as well than it does as a movie (laughs) so so one day we'll do lights out (laughs) anyway so we get introduced to our police, uh, our police officers in this movie, Kakoa Shaw and Regina Moss. So Kakoa is like racially ambiguous, handsome-looking Asian dude, <laughs> and Kakoa, or no, not Kakoa, sorry, Regina. I told you this, like when we were hanging out. I am convinced that fifteen to twenty years ago, she would have been played by Wanda Sykes. <laughs> what did she- you say? I, I told you that that Regina Moss, the the his uh his partner, mm-hmm. if 15 to 20 years ago feels like she would have been played by Wanda Sykes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's written in a way to be like sassy and brash, much like early Wanda Sykes, like early 2000s Wanda Sykes. Yeah. Which Wanda Sykes is like now like what I remember her the most is my daughter watches that Disney show Vampirina, which is about like a vampire girl. Mm-hmm. And Wanda Sykes like plays her gargoyle sidekick <laughs> in that series so <laughs> i wish i could shake that from my memory when you mentioned wanda sykes but i cannot no so it's like as they get there they're trying to collect um evidence and i guess this seems important that when we meet the csi girl because one i think she's adorable something about the uh i think i have a type something about brunettes with high ponytails and glasses <laughs> like the nerdy type but like one she keeps giving googly eyes to kakoa shaw like she wants to make out with him any chance they get and two we learn that the only time that um the csi girl had seen anything close to the type of trauma that derek went through was like a car crash so what we know is that this killer is freakishly strong as if we couldn't tell by, you know, seeing the legs being ripped and put in a different position. <laughs> so that's like the main thing. Uh, they go and uh, so the officers go and they talk to Madison. Um, and she actually returns from the hospital. And then our film takes us to. Or, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm like kind of jumping around some uh, on some stuff, but pretty much Madison. uh like she reveals to Sydney her her sister that she was actually adopted and they're not actual biological sisters, uh, which makes sense seeing as how one is like you know raven black haired and the other one is blonde as the day is long. But um, you know we also get a scene of a woman that's working at the Seattle Underground, which up until that part nothing really indicated that this movie was taking place in seattle you've actually been there so i don't know if like am i missing something do they mention anything about being from seattle before i think i just don't pay attention as much maybe it was a trailer maybe it was a trailer that made me like understand that but but yeah I, i went into this movie being aware that it takes place in seattle 
yeah, I had no idea. Like, so the only <laughs> indication I got was when they're actually in the underground part, and she says, Oh, yeah, this is the Seattle Underground, not to be confused with like, uh, I forgot who it was, I think Pearl Jam or Nirvana or some shit like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, we get a really creepy scene of this woman being like stalked by something inside of the underground after she's finished giving her tours, which apparently that's real. Apparently that's like an actual thing you can go do in Seattle. Like there, you can actually take tours under the, under the sit like main city what? and you can see what old Seattle looked like. What? I yeah. was in Seattle a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic. I, I would have known. <laughs> you missed out, idiot. Well, I could always go back. That's nah, a crap city with a crap football team. <laughs> yeah. It's a crap city with a crap football team. Actually, it's a great city. I really want to go. <laughs> it's a great city with a crap football team. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the um, but, for but, uh, you know what's funny people. is that the, the in terms of the setting of this movie, like I had to look it up, but but even though the setting is completely different, this movie, I swear, it reminds me of the changeling. If you ever go back and watch a 1980 George C. Scott movie, like oh, a yeah. lot of the old, just like the old houses with like the layouts and the fact that everything is just rainy and gloomy outside. Like I really had to like before this episode, even look up this changing, did changeling take place in Seattle? Because I swear, like <laughs> it's just a lot of the sets or like just the setting of this movie reminds me of that movie. And no, that movie takes place in the East coast, uh, in New York state. And this, uh, <laughs> this obviously takes place in the Pacific Northwest. So, yeah. So, um, finishing up the seattle underground scene there is a yeah like i was mentioning earlier the tour guide ends up getting stalked and 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 gets attacked in like this really tense scene where she's running and struggling to try to get the lights back on (gasps) sorry i don't mean to interrupt you but yes that's right there is the second half of the changeling does take place in seattle so there was a reason why i thought of it you scared the shit out of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, holy fuck, what's behind me? <laughs> oh my god, you just gave me a mini fucking heart attack. <laughs> oh god, it's right behind me. I was like, oh no, backwards ladies behind me. <laughs> oh shit. So anyway, yeah, the, <laughs> the tour guide gets kidnapped is what you need to take away from this scene. Fuck this. And then later that night, uh, Madison ends up having another what appears to be dream uh, where she thinks she is doing her laundry and she gets like shocked by this woman that's like shouting out her in a really good scare, actually, where she's like, what are you doing in my house? And Madison thinking she's referring to her, she like freaks out and falls. And as she falls to the ground, she realizes that she's kind of paralyzed and can't move. And she ends up seeing the same figure that killed uh, Derek um, kill uh, the doctor who appears to be, this was Dr. Florence. So Dr. Florence Weaver. Uh, This was also takes place after um, the, the doctor gets a phone call from what appears to be Gabriel. Uh, where he uses the he doesn't admit to being Gabriel, but he does say, uh, uses the line that she used about cutting the cancer out. So later that night is when uh, the figure ends up attacking, grabbing one of her uh, awards, which appears to be for uh, like a surgery, and ends up just bashing her head in uh, with it in a very like graphic and like gnarly scene. Uh, she ends up waking up to it and or she ends up I'm sorry uh, Madison ends up waking up and uh, you know the the scene cuts to Sean Moss continuing their investigation finding out the murder of Dr. Weaver or at at her house where they end up finding a picture of a small child and they find out that Dr. Weaver um, was a specialist in uh, child reconstructive surgery Um she and uh, I think this is where Madison. Oh, someone points out that uh, the the trophy that she had won for, or the yeah, the award that she had won was missing. And this is where it cuts to a scene of uh, the figure. 
like destroying the destroying the trophy, taking out a sharp edge, and turning it into like this weird makeshift shift knife, <laughs> which then becomes, I guess, their signature weapon for the rest of the movie. And we also see that the kidnapped um, tour guide is just kind of like strung up on the ceiling of what appears to be like an industrial area or like an attic or something like that. Yes. Um, Madison ends up having another vision where she ends up seeing this figure kill um, kill another doctor, uh, one of the other doctors present that night back in 1997 um, by like stabbing him in the face a whole bunch with the weird knife thing and if i remember correctly this is the one that um where you get like a full view of what the what like the 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 figure now looks like Mm -hmm. and the creature looks all bent out of shape like the everything is kind of bent at a different angle very like inhuman looking but the part where the where the the figure starts stabbing the doctor it looks super silly to me. I was I don't know why. <laughs> it just like very clearly looks like my like just like a fake like a stage thing where it's just like er, er, like it looks like something is puppeteering it. It looks it's super not bizarre. frightening, and I think that's the thing. It's like one of those things where it's like it feels like it's supposed to be scary, but it absolutely isn't. And you go into it thinking, okay, James Wan movie, there's going to be good jump scares. There's going to be good. Like this guy was a master of doing this kind of stuff. Like things that we normally hate jump scares. Like he was fantastic at them in those conjuring movies. And yet all of the stuff in this, like there's nothing particularly terrifying about it. He's really good at ramping tension up in this movie. Like it feels like he gives you the moment before the jump scare where you're like nervous and it puts you on edge, but it feels like the follow through is just kind of a wet fart and nothing worthwhile. Like there's never a good payoff. It's either he's not doing it as well as he used to, or we've seen so much of it that it just doesn't feel as good anymore. (laughs) But I just, but I don't know. It's just like, I feel like if, if we were enjoying the premise of the movie more and, and I didn't have so many problems with what the premise is, that like maybe i'd be more into this and uh but yeah but it's just there's nothing about it that's particularly scary and i think and i think that's part of it it's like you know like it, there's nothing about it that it feels like stuff i've seen before but mm-hmm. and it feels like stuff that i've seen before in better movies and the thing is from here out the this scene specifically this part where dr fields gets killed super telegraphs the giant like twist at the end of the movie and i'm just like oh okay so i just gotta wait another like hour or so until the rest of the characters kind of get caught up because it's like the the creature design does look cool i guess the like but it's also super obvious as to what's kind of going on at a certain point. <laughs> like you can tell that it's a it's a misshapen human body, right? So it only takes a it takes you a couple guesses. Who could this possibly be? <laughs> um. So after yeah. So after the murder of Doctor Fields, uh, Madison and her sister Sydney go to the police officers and they and they tell the detectives about or they go to the police tell the detectives about her dream. They convince the uh, officers to check an apartment building where it appears uh, where Dr. Fields lives. Uh, They go to this apartment building the entire time. uh, Detective uh, Kokoa is having kind of like these weird glances with uh, Sydney, Madison's sister. In this one, I text you, wow, everyone just wants to fuck Koa this entire film. Everyone just want, like he's just making bedroom eyes at everyone, and luckily they don't do anything dumb like that. Where it's like, oh, suddenly he has a romantic interest, and uh, that would have been way too cliche at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they go into this apartment building, this apartment that I swear to Christ I've seen in movies that take place in L.A. Like I feel like I've seen that apartment building before. I could be wrong, but it does look like the apartment building that um, they use in the first Annabelle when um, <laughs> when the blocks move in there mm-hmm. 
And coincidentally, Annabelle Wallace wasn't Annabelle. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That is true. It's like James Wan has his like actors that he likes to go back to. <laughs> and then so after that, they they come upon or they find the the body of Dr. Fields. And then this is where Madison ends up getting uh, contacted by the killer who turns out to be Gabriel, um, who Madison believed to be her her imaginary friend from when she was a kid. Um, so her and her friend end up, or I'm sorry, her and her friend, her, her sister end up visiting their mom, who the mom looks like she's been through some shit, <laughs> which is... <laughs> It's really weird because, you know, they go and they watch home movies and it just like they don't really tell the story as to what happened to the mom. Mm-hmm. But honestly, that's kind of the story I want to learn about. <laughs> yeah. Because as you watch the home movies, she seems like a very sweet and supportive lady. She takes in um, she takes in uh, uh, Madison and adopts her cares for her like her own daughter i thought it was going to be a much bigger part of the movie yeah like you were expecting her to know some secrets and then the shitty part is the mom is finding shit out around the same time as the audience and you're like why (laughs) that makes zero sense (laughs) oh god and so you know this is where we find out or we see some creepy videos of madison uh kind of interacting with gabriel as a kid um but she realized but this is where like madison realizes that gabriel was more than just an imaginary friend like this was someone that she she legitimately spoke to um and meanwhile the police officers are still trying they they end up finding uh the third corpse of dr or yeah a third body belonging to dr gregory who was someone else that um doc that uh dr florence uh weaver had worked with um this ends up leading uh detective shaw on a chase through seattle like through seattle streets uh following the killer and like following her down a they're following yeah following the the killer down into old seattle where he ends up getting jumped by the the killer as they fight like the entire chase scene is cool but it goes on a little bit way too long for my for my taste especially for him to just kind of get away and then it's really weird because you would think oh Shaw kind of got a visual like he knows what the killer looks like why not go and send a team to go looking through the sewers for the killer mm-hmm. they never do anything like that they never do any follow-up and i'm just like oh cool so everyone's just cool with letting this killer run away all the time like <laughs> nice oh man and then um so for some reason <laughs> I'm not a police officer. I'm not in law enforcement. But for some reason, in order to get more answers from Madison, the detectives suggest bringing a hypnotherapist in <laughs> so that the hypnotherapist can put Madison under and they can try to learn more about, uh, you know, more secrets about herself from a child from her childhood. And as she puts her under, we learn, you know, Madison just kind of start. She she regresses back to her young uh, young self, and she talks about how she was actually adopted, and her real name is Emily May. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Gabriel, from a young age, ever since uh, Emily was little, Gabriel had been influencing uh, Emily and to try to kill her sister before she was born. So you know, we get like weird shots, and we kind of see um that uh what's her name emily doesn't really have a full grip on reality so we see a lot of like she thinks she's in one place but she's really somewhere else Mm -hmm. like they have the scene where you think she's gonna cut into a cake but then it reveals she has a the kitchen knife in like her like her parents room and she's about to cut into her mom's like stomach and then the mom wakes up last like possible mo- minute and wakes up uh, Emily, which causes her to like scream and cry, which brings us back into the real world where um, where Madison starts screaming, but still in her little girl voice. Mm-hmm. And that's like when we realize like 
like that. Gabriel's been following her her whole life. And I think when the cops are about to leave, (laughs) as everyone's about to leave, Mm -hmm. the, um, the, like, you know, there's shots of the, of the, um, why am I blanking on the tour guide? Sorry. There's like shots of the tour guide trying to like escape from her, escape from her bondage. And as she like, As the cops are about to leave, the tour guide comes crashing through like three stories of the house <laughs> and like smashes into her coffee table, causing her to freak out as like this creepy, like legally distinct Pixies music plays. Yeah. I was like, what in the fuck is going on here? <laughs> so at this point, Madison has the, you know, the cops have no choice to, but to arrest Madison. So they take her in. Uh, meanwhile, well, Lisa's not legally distinct like Nirvana or something since they are in Seattle. Oh, don't worry. There, <laughs> I'm sure there's a movie that has legally distinct Nirvana. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's just like ridiculous. Actually, fun fact and wrestling fact: <laughs> DDP totally used legally distinct Nirvana when he was. Oh in yeah, WCW. no, absolutely. <laughs> I listened to it because I was bored. It was so bad. It is awesome. Yeah, They're, pro wrestlers will do that. There, it's like Hulk Hogan and Voodoo Child. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Anyway, that yeah, that was your wrestling corner. <laughs> Back to malignant. <laughs> So while Madison gets arrested and taken into uh, police custody, Sydney ends up going to the old uh, hospital that uh, Madison was admitted into as a child. And there she's doing her own research, trying to find out uh, what uh, what's going on to Madison with Madison. And it is here that she learns that Madison actually had a conjoined twin brother who actually was a teratoma, which is a type of like an extreme teratoma, which was like pretty much a tumor, a tumor made up of like what would have been another human, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we learned that Gabriel was her brother and that madison and gabriel shared a brain and for some fucking reason gabriel developed superpowers (laughs) where he's super strong (laughs) and he can manipulate electricity (laughs) i i like how gabriel is like an amalgamation of all the gremlins and gremlins too He just needs wings so he can be a fucking gargoyle. Yes. <laughs> uh, again, this is what I'm talking about, is that this is dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is fucking dumb. Remember <laughs> when this was supposed to be a demon and this could actually be kind of scary? No, you know what this movie, what I thought it was when I saw the trailer? I thought this movie was going to be about the fear of imaginary imaginary friends and how imaginary friends could actually end up being either a ghost or a demon that followed you around when you were a kid i thought the same that's thing. what i thought the premise of this movie was this movie it- goes in so many other fucking directions that i don't know if it's the fault of i mean it's not totally the fault of of the trailer but it's just man part of this is the fault of the writing part of this is the fault of the trailer and it's just like none oh, of no. this is a satisfying experience because of it. We are sold a completely different movie in the trailer <laughs> yeah. than what we get. Because the movie in the trailer super makes it look like this is going to be a malignant spirit movie. And just like you, I thought it was going to be that. I heard the, the, the term malignant. I immediately thought malignant spirit. And I was like, oh, okay. So she made friends with or she willed into existence some entity as a child maybe she created a talpa and or maybe she accidentally summoned a demon who is now her friend and has been following her and making her life shit ever since but it's like okay that i can get behind that kind of cliche but i can get behind that Mm -hmm. this movie i will give it props in the sense that it tried to do something different like 10 
10 for the attempt, but like negative three for the execution. <laughs> this was the equivalent of trying to do a pole vault and then you snap your leg on the landing like this. Is so <laughs> oh, no. Oh, but this movie, in my opinion, gets saved in the last like half hour. All right. Because it. Oh my god! So as we learn, so pretty much what 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 Sydney learns is that the 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 surgery team essentially cut off everything that belonged to Gabriel, and they like smashed his face into the back of Madison's skull. <laughs> and they just like covered her head back up, and they're just like, "Yup, this won't. This seems like a really good way <laughs> to fix everyone's problems." Hey, you know what's reasonable? (laughs) What, cramming shit back into people's skulls? Yes. I'm like, I wish I could fix all my problems by cramming things into my skull. (laughs) (laughs) When, as we learn this, we get to see the really creepy-looking transformation. And, again, once we see what it is, it looks super silly. (laughs) And the monster stops being at all, you know, scary at all. But as uh, Madison, for some reason, gets jumped by all these angry women. <laughs> Which, by the way, this like holding cell is huge, very gothic looking. Like everything, like the even the police department looks very gothic in this movie for some reason. And all these like women that are in the holding cell, there's something like eighteen women in here all super aggressive and hate Madison for literally no reason. (laughs) We get to see my homegirl Zoe Bell in this movie. She immediately starts uh, beating the shit out of Madison (laughs) along with someone else. Um, And oh, Zoe Bell plays the the main, I guess, gang lady named Scorpion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Here we see Madison like going to convulsions, screaming pain, and Madison reaches behind her head as she starts screaming, and she, like, rips her scalp in <laughs> And you see this massive crack in her skull, and, like, Gabriel's eye pops out, and then suddenly, like, his head, like, his face comes out, and he looks super creepy, um but also super goofy like it's one of those things that make you feel uncomfortable because you know it's like you know what it's supposed to be (laughs) but i think uh one of the detectives said it right is that he just looks like a bloody version of sloth from the (laughs) and she proceeds to murder everyone in this jail cell and it's not just like it's not just like, oh, like she's just starts slapping people around and throwing them. Like she like, well, I guess Gabriel's the one in control. Gabriel like punches his hand through a woman's stomach. <laughs> and then he like crushes another one's skull. It's super gory and over the top and violent. And me personally, I hate I hate I, I was not a huge fan of this movie. I hated this movie up until this part. And I'm just like, okay, this is kind of cool. <laughs> And it's like, as she starts, like, fighting all these, you know, starts murdering all these women, as she's, like, gouging Scorpion's eyes out, one of the police officers comes in and starts shooting at her. She uses the body as, like, a human shield and then, and then like, smashes the officer's face into the bars, steals the keys, and escapes. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. Okay, right off the bat, I'm like, why is this officer getting closer to the fucking bars, man? Like, literally, it appears <laughs> that Gabriel isn't strong enough to, like, smash the door open or rip the door off or anything. Mm-hmm. So, literally, even if he has killed all these people, he's in the best place imaginable, which is behind bars. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the officer, like, gets really close and get, gives Gabriel the chance. Uh, Gabriel runs into the evidence locker and gets his, like long black coat uh and he ends up getting his gloves as well as his uh weird blade thing uh luckily our favorite csi girl is able to hide and uh avoids being killed by gabriel and then uh, gabriel 
pretty much reenacts the scene from Terminator where the team 800 goes on a murder spree in the police, like in the police precinct. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to murder everyone in this like department. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very like at one point it looks it's very like they try to do this scene that looks like it would have been it was filmed to have like a 3D like experience because mm-hmm. it's like the blade comes straight at the TV and then like it, it, it's filmed in a really interesting way but it also looks really weird almost stop motiony and I wasn't a huge fan of that part because it did look it, it it just looks like it didn't fit um and it's just really visually jarring because up until now everything looked realistic and regular and then all of a sudden you're like oh wow that looks like modern day stop motion like that's not that cool <laughs> super bizarre so he uh gabriel ends up killing all the cops uh almost kills um uh koa uh he ends up getting into like this uh fight with gabriel gabriel overpowers him there's like this part where a who i can only assume was like a latina detective comes out and there's like a zoom in on her which makes me feel like she was meant to be an important character but it feels like she got cut out. <laughs> it was like super bizarre how they like zoom in on her for no reason she ends up getting her arms broken and before gabriel could say uh could kill uh koa uh regina moss ends up saving him by grabbing uh, one of the cops' shotguns, just blasting at uh, Gabriel, who manages to escape, but not before Gabriel like slices Regina's uh, stomach open. Uh, but we're left to assume she actually survives. I guess. I mean, there's you know, there's nothing to make it seem like she died. Uh, Gabriel ends up uh, confronting or going to the hospital to try to confront like him and uh madison's like biological mom mm-hmm. who we what we find out is uh one of the other things sydney finds out is that uh the tour guide is madison's biological mom <laughs> madison and gabriel's biological mom so he goes to try get revenge and kill her um sydney tries to tries to save her um and Koa tries to get the jump on Gabriel, who and Gabriel ends up stabbing him and ends up throwing a like a hospital pen on Sydney, like pinning her <laughs> legs to the ground. And I remember seeing that and I'm like, I think she should be dead because I'm pretty sure hospital beds weigh a shit ton. But I also don't quote me, I don't know much about hospital beds. <laughs> And he ends up, um, Gabriel ends up, um, you know, grabbing Koa's gun. And as he gets close uh, for the kill shot, Sydney, Sydney reveals to uh, Madison, who at this point is still kind of like in the passenger seat of her own body. Um, she reveals to her that Gabriel has been taking the life out of her babies mm-hmm. um, whenever she was getting pregnant and that she, that Gabriel was the one causing the miscarriages uh, so that he could get become strong enough to take control of her body again, and that pretty much what uh, although uh, Gabriel was dormant, it wasn't until Derek like threw her against the wall uh, and like hurting the back of her head was it that kind of woke uh, Gabriel up. So at this point, uh, Madison realizes that she can still take control of her own body. But it appears to be too late as Gabriel walks up to um, Sydney, just puts the gun to the side of her head and just like, just blow, like just shoots her, like very matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And then as he walks over to uh, the tour guide lady, he ends up um, putting his hand over her mouth to try to kill her or you know to, to suffocate her and you know like because she's hooked up to the uh you know like the heart monitors they all start flatlining and we're left to assume she died 
And she and Gabriel says something to the effect of, you know, I have time to show you how you all turn me into a monster. Um, to which, you know, we get a voiceover from Madison revealing that, or uh, where she says, no, you were always a monster. Um, <laughs> and revealing that she actually put, like, created a mind palace and that she put Gabriel in it. And she creates like a jail cell where she locks Gabriel in there forever. Uh, Gabriel starts shouting and starts like trying to escape, um, saying that he'll get out eventually. And then uh, Madison says, you probably will, but by the next time you come out, I'll be ready for you. And she's able to kind of like block him and put him into one part of her brain. Um, in the real world, it's revealed that he that Madison did it, or you know, as Madison takes control, Gabriel wasn't able to shoot Sydney. So the back of Madison's head magically heals, and uh, she's in control of her body again. She takes off the Gabriel costume, mm-hmm. and apparently, she now has access to Gabriel's powers, and like <laughs> she's able to roll the hospital bed off of. Uh, Sydney, no problem. Then she even says, "Yeah, now that it's his body, he made it do that." But I can—that means I can use his strength. And I was like, "Okay, cool." So she's a superhero now. <laughs> this was her long, very convoluted origin story. So she ends up uh, having a moment with uh, Sydney and her biological mom, and she ends up telling Sydney that she'd always wanted a blood connection. But it's been staring, uh, her relationship with her sister had been staring in front of her her whole life. That she felt like she was missing something, but now she's not. And as they embrace, the camera pans out and shows a light bulb kind of like, you know, making a humming noise as if the electricity is about to turn back on, but never does. You know, kind of teasing that Gabriel's still there. Uh, movie cuts to black and, or, and, you know, we get our credits and that's malignant so javi do you like malignant uh, well, <laughs> I, part of me wants to say like here's the thing i rewatched the movie today to get ready for this episode right and i was even going into this episode i was like oh like, i don't i'm gonna say i like it just because i like the stupid shit and it's like as we talk about it i'm like no, this movie's so dumb. I can't even say I like the stupid <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, this is just... This movie's trying to tell, like, three different movies' plots all at once and just doesn't succeed at any of them. Yeah. Like, there's just a lot of weird style choices and a lot of, like, art choices in this movie where I just can't get behind it. And it's like... At first, I was going to be like, oh, this is just fun, schlocky horror movie from the 80s. And while I still think it's schlocky horror, it's just not fun to me the more I think about it. Yeah. Like, it's just the, I guess, you know, there are some things that this movie does that are cool. um, but But it's like so much of it doesn't stick the landing that this just isn't the James Wan we're used to either like personally like this is a this is not the same dude that did saw one or the conjuring you know but that's so if i'm gonna get into my thoughts on it i actually i don't like this movie either i think it's pretty obvious from the way we've both been talking about it here but but i think the other thing too with this movie is um I don't, this isn't going to taint me from to keep from watching this writer's work again. The same reason it's not going to keep me from watching the next James Wan project, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure that this writer and director are capable of putting together much better work. And this is just one of those things that didn't work out. Um, and yeah, I didn't like it either. Um, I was looking forward to seeing it when it came out. And it's just, it just was. I don't know if the failure was, as I said earlier, the expectation that I had of it or just the fact that I just didn't think that they handled the subject matter that it ended up being in terms of miscarriaging and and uh, and cancer and all that kind of stuff. Like it just it didn't deal with it in a way that felt either serious enough about the subject matter it was portraying 
to justify mm-hmm. using it. And I think that's the biggest sin that this movie commits, in my opinion. So um, definitely no, he- check it out if you want to check it out. It is on HBO Max if you're a subscriber. But uh, I think it's pretty clear that both of us on this panel do not like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's in two and a half. Or no, that's two hours. I'm not getting back. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'd like to thank Hold you guys on. for joining us. I just want to throw a quick fun fact before we before we close it. So there was a lot of people that thought this movie was going to be an actual like re or a uh, movie version of a comic book that James Wan did work on called Malignant Man, and people in I'm just gonna read you the synopsis real quick. Alan Gates, a cancer patient with the terminal diagnosis, is resigned to his fate until he discovers that his tumor is actually a mysterious parasite. Granted a second lease on life and incredible otherworldly powers, Alan must fight against an army of evil buried beneath the society's skin, all the while unlocking the secrets of his forgotten past. Dark, twisted, and unique, Malignant Man is a sci-fi thriller that can't be missed. So <laughs> apparently James Wan was like, no, I'm not making a malignant man movie. It just has the word malignant in the name. But it I will also take almost every other plot device from malignant man and put it in this movie. <laughs> and at that point, I just gotta be like, then why didn't you just make the malignant man movie? I think that might have actually even been better to have a horror-based superhero movie. But that's just me. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. All right. So we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, please continue to interact interact with us on social media um, and uh, communicate with us on our, uh, you know, on our social media. Uh, leave reviews for us on Apple Podcasts or uh, and just try to get the word out for the podcast if you can. Uh, we'd love to continue to grow the audience, and uh, we're very excited that we are now entering the. <sighs> horror movie month and a half that we are in and uh, we hope that you look forward to the movies that we're going to be reviewing as well so uh yeah i'd just like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode and we'll talk to you next time Later, y'all.